Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you haven't been with us, we've been doing a study on the Sermon on the Mount. I I like to point out that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. I mean, ever. We've all heard some really good sermons. I know you've heard some really good sermons here at Calvary Chapel. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) But this sermon... This sermon is the greatest sermon ever preached because it is preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. His name is Jesus. And here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is seated on the hillside in the area of Galilee. And he begins to talk to his disciples and he's giving them the Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about being blessed. The word blessed means what? Oh, how happy. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy are the people who are poor in spirit, Jesus says to his disciples. Happy are the people who mourn over their sin. People who are meek and merciful and pure in heart. And people who are peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus is giving them the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are attitudes that ought to be in the lives of Christians if we are truly born again then we ought to have these attitudes in verses 1 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. Now, the last time we gather, Jesus uttered some very shocking words to the disciples as he said to them, you and you alone are the light of the world. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. So the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5 describe the true Christian character. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, if you're taking notes, from verse 17 in chapter 5 through chapter 7, deal with Christian conduct. So verse 1 through 16 deal with Christian character. Verse 17 through chapter 7 deal with Christian conduct and in that order. Why? Because character always comes before conduct because what we are determines what we do. Jesus is going to talk to his disciples about true righteousness, conduct, true righteousness, which is directed by the commandments of God and the traditions of legalism, the tradition and legalism of men. That's what he's going to talk about to his disciples. Matthew chapter 5, look at your Bibles, beginning in verse 17. Saints, if you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Notice what Jesus says in verse 17. Do not think 
Now, I want you to underline that. Because there's little phrases like that that we just kind of overlook. And we, it's like, you know, well, we just overlook that stuff to get to the meat, you know, what we think we understand. And so, but, but this is important. Man, this is huge. Jesus says, do not think. That, that, that's big. That I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill For surely I say to you in verse 18, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus said this, they, the disciples, they, they, they were beside themselves. They, they, were, they were like, what? Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You want to take note, Bible student, that he did not say, unless your righteousness is equal to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he did not say, unless your righteousness is as good as the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of God. And he didn't say, if your righteousness gets near that which is of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. The righteousness exceeds what? Whose righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? No one will talk about that in just a minute. But the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth, they're powerful, they're shocking, and they're mind-blowing to the disciples. Now, we need to keep in mind that the disciples were Jewish. And we talked about that. Matthew's a Jew, writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. And so the disciples, they are Jewish, and they've been raised Jewish. And they have been raised on the laws of Moses. And for them, the law was a representation, the epitome, the embodiment of the will of God for life. And so I'm sure as Jesus was speaking to the disciples, they're thinking, what next? What about the law of Moses? What about Moses and the law and the prophets? And they're thinking, man, we can never attain this kind of righteous life. How can we be righteous? And so Jesus tells them, listen, fellas, don't think that I have come to destroy the law. Now, listen, by the very nature of the fact that Jesus says to his disciples, disciples, don't think that I've come to destroy the law, tells us that that is exactly what they were thinking. God knows what we're thinking. We think, oh, don't tell God. Isn't that weird? It's just kind of weird. Don't don't tell God what we're thinking now. Don't tell God what we're planning. Listen, God already knows. God knows. The Bible says he sees through you like glass. 
He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart and of the mind. And he says to the disciples, he says, don't think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. In other words, that's exactly what they were thinking. And as you look through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus is constantly being challenged by the religious folks and accused of setting himself up against the laws of Moses, which nothing could be further from the truth. So Jesus says, stop thinking that I've come to destroy the law. Jesus says, I haven't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus wasn't a revolutionist sent to destroy. He was a redeemer sent to save. He didn't come to destroy, annihilate, obliterate the law. He came to fulfill it. Now, the question, what exactly does he mean When he says, I've come to fulfill the law, what does he mean? Done a lot of reading, a lot of research. Scholars are all over the place as to what he means. And might I add, some good, reputable, godly men disagree on what Jesus meant when he said, I've come to fulfill the law. Some say that he meant that he fulfilled it by his unique teaching. And they believe this because later on in the chapter, as you look through later in the same chapter, it says, he says to his disciples, he says, for you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so by his unique teaching, in other words, in some sense, Jesus is making his teaching higher than the law and that in that many feel that he fulfilled it, fulfilled the law. And then there's another very common view that says Jesus fulfilled the law by meeting the demands of the law. And so we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. Ephesians tells us that. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Don't brag about it. I was having my total cereal. Nice cold bowl of cereal for church and turn on the TV. You know, you just kind of eat your cereal, flip to the TV, get the news, get the weather, that kind of thing. And I happened to run across a, a preacher who said, by faith, are you saved? And when he said that, I was like, nah, I hate it when people say something that the Bible does not say. Let me tell you something. The Bible does not say that you are saved by faith. The Bible says that you are saved by grace, not by faith. You are not saved by faith, you see. And and when you start teaching people that you are saved by faith, then that takes you down a path of legalism of which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Because let's just face it. I mean, if it's about your faith, then if you have more faith, you can do this. If you have more faith, then this can happen. But you need to have more faith. The Bible does not teach that you are saved by faith. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourself. It's the grace of God. And that is so important for you to understand, so important for you to hear that we are saved by grace and not faith. And I'll tell you, I was talking to people after the first service, and I'm sure I'll talk to many of you after This whole teaching of you are saved by your faith and what your faith can do and what your faith should do leads you down the path of legalism where there is no end. 
it only leads to despair. When you realize, hey, I'm saved by grace. Man, it's the grace of God. If it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be saved. I'm lost. I'm destitute. Nothing. God, I'm barren. I got nothing to offer you, Lord. Just grace. God, give me grace. God, give me. I want all the grace God can give me. Lord, give me grace. Rodney needs grace. And then after you understand you're saved by grace, then what happens is you start putting your faith where it belongs. In him. That's a whole nother sermon. I don't have time to preach that this morning. That's a whole nother sermon. But some hold that view. They say Jesus fulfilled the law because he met all the demands of the law. And then there's some who hold this view that, 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 that I hold. Jesus fulfilled the law. Why? Because he is what the entire scripture is all about. In other words, the entire Bible is about Jesus from cover to cover. It was to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures, and in them you think you have life. But they are they which testify of me. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, Listen, if you're searching the scriptures, and you miss me. Now remember, the scriptures for them was the Old Testament, not the New Testament. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, now these are the guys who study the law. These are the guys who knew the law. Jesus says to them, you guys who study the law and know the law, if you're studying the law and you miss me, then you are missing the point. You are missing what the true law is all about. Jesus says, if you're studying law and you're missing me, then you don't know what you're talking about. And to the scribes and to the Pharisees, this was insulting. You don't tell these guys they don't know what they're talking about. But Jesus did, because all of the Bible from cover to cover, listen, all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible is about one man, and his name is Jesus. The whole Bible is not that difficult. And when you look in the Old Testament, and you look at the sacrificial system, the whole sacrificial system is all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus in the temple, the table of showbread. The candlestick, the altar of sacrifice, the altar of incense, the wash basin, the Ark of the Covenant. He is the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. He is everything. He is all of the law. And all of the law is in him. In the New Testament, he's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. He is everything. And so when Jesus said he has come to fulfill the law, he's saying he has come to bring the law to full meaning, to bring the law to its destined end. Not to annihilate it, not to obliterate it, not to destroy it, but to bring it to its full end. You see, the law has a full end. In the beginning, the law had a purpose. It had a beginning and it had an end. What was the purpose? The purpose of the law was not so that a person could read the list of the law and then say, oh, I can do all of those things and be righteous under the law. That was not the point. The point of the law was that it was to be a schoolmaster or a tutor or a teacher. 
It was to teach you that you are unrighteous. It was to teach you and to show you that you are unrighteous, that you are filthy, that you are dirty, and that you are in need of the grace of God because you fall short of the righteous standards of God. That was the purpose of the law. Not that you might be righteous by the law in and of itself, but that you needed a savior so that when Jesus came to fulfill the law, you would say, yes, I need the Lord now. I need a savior. So the law had a purpose. The law had a beginning and the law had an end. And Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus didn't add anything to the law except one thing. And that's perfect obedience. He's the only one who perfectly in obedience fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And so Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. Now, notice in verse 18, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, not one word will pass from the law until heaven and earth passes away. Now, I love this. I love it when Jesus says, For assuredly, I say unto you. Did you know that Jesus never runs off at the mouth? He never does. People do. He doesn't. Never does. Search the scriptures, you can see. Everything that Jesus says is important. And everything that Jesus says, he never says anything trite. He never says anything unimportant. And he says, assuredly, I say unto you. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is one thing you can count on. What is that? Not one jot or tittle shall pass away until all is fulfilled. The Hebrew word for jot, if you're taking notes, is yod. Y-O-D-H. Yod. And a yod or a jot is the smallest of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It would be like a dot that distinguishes an I from an L. A tittle is a marking on a letter to distinguish it from another so that they don't look alike. So Jesus says, not the smallest letter or even a marking on that letter shall ever pass from the law until heaven and earth passes away. Nothing's going to change when it comes to God's word. Let me tell you something. There are two things that are immutable. That means doesn't change. Two things in the world that don't change. People change. Circumstances change. Your spouse may change. Your, you, you may change houses. You may change cars. But there are two things that do not change, and that is God and his word. He never changes, ever. And his word never changes. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Psalm 102. Verse 25 through 27, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are a work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your words and your years will have no end. And then in Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 8. I love this verse. It's on our website. 
The grass withers. Read it with me, would you? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. What does forever mean in the Hebrew language? Forever. You're all good Bible students. I knew it. God's word endures forever. And because God's word is enduring, we have a responsibility to obey it and teach it to others. Not out of legalism, but out of love. You see, if you're a Christian, you should be done with the law as a means of righteousness. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. You see, although the law stands as a perfect expression of God's character and requirements, we're not to try to fulfill the law as a means of righteousness. Now, I want you to notice again in verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, this is a mind blower to the disciples. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were outwardly more righteous than anyone. No one could exceed their righteousness. And if anyone tried, they would fail. You know, I recently heard this, and perhaps you've heard it in the past. There are only two kinds of people going to heaven, someone said. Baptists and people who think like Baptists. I actually heard that. Well, the Jewish people... Get this, they had a saying, something like it. They said if two men, if there were only two men going to heaven, one would be a scribe and the other would be a Pharisee. Isn't that interesting? So when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven, that would be like saying to a legalist, unless your good deeds exceed that of Mother Teresa. Who can exceed Mother Teresa? Who? Not me. Or it'd be like saying, unless your righteousness is like Billy Graham. It's like, whoa, man, Billy Graham, this is a hard shoes to fill. Well, more holy than the Holy Father, the Pope. You won't go to heaven. Now, who are the scribes? Listen, if you're taking notes, the scribes, who are they? Who are they? The scribes were the scholars. They studied the law. They interpreted the law. They commented, and might I add, endlessly on the law. Who were the Pharisees? Well, these guys are a little bit more interesting. Had to do a little research here, but I found it interesting to to, to find out, and maybe you will find it interesting also, that the Pharisees originated in Babylon. And when the first temple was destroyed, a group of people got together and they decided to remain separate from the pagan customs of Babylon. And they were called the Pharisim. The separated company is what that means. And tradition tells us that there were 7,000 of this separated company and they kept the most minute details of the law. They started out right, but they ended up wrong. They gave the Ten Commandments to live by. But as the years went on, the principles weren't enough. They needed specific rules, statutes, and ordinances that would answer all of their circumstances. And so they developed a passion for the law, but not for God, and for defining the rules and for the regulations. And so when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they needed to redefine them, and they needed to be more specific. And get this. 
those 10 commandments, as they continued to redefine, 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 those 10 commandments turned into 613 commandments. 248 of them were positive, meaning things that you should do. And 365 of them were negative, means thou shalt not. But isn't that just like a legalist? There's always going to be more thou shalt not than there is thou shalt do. Always. Now, because the law says, get this, here's some of what they thought. Because the law says you shall keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, and you shall not work on the day of the Sabbath. In their passion, they began to ask, what is work? And they define work as to carry a burden. Well, then they had to define, what is a burden? And believe it or not, they would spend endless hours arguing over whether you should move a lamp from this table to that table on the Sabbath. You can't move your house furniture on the Sabbath. They would argue about, they said, well, if you had false teeth, you had to take them out. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.